Danny. Hi, Tyler. This is episode 126 of Fried Squirms. I'm excited. We got to talk about A Tale of Two Sisters. Absolutely, dude. And yeah. we're excited you're here to join us. Why am I putting on this voice? Fuck this noise. How's it going? <laughs> pretty good, dude. It's been a pretty good week. Weekend's been pretty decent as well, so no complaints. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've been telling you for the last little bit while we've been getting set up, I went and saw the new Tarantino flick. That was really enjoyable. Not my favorite. Like it more the more I think about it. I could say probably a lot about it, but I'm going to hold off because if I get off on too much of a tangent, we're going to be here for a while. So overall, I would definitely recommend it, though, especially if you're into the era of Hollywood that Tarantino always references in all of his other work, (laughs) then go watch it. So, Well, good, man. That's cool to see that you've gone out and checked out a film. Like I said, this week it's been a pretty good one because I typically wait till the weekend before I watch whatever film we're reviewing and then of course watch it again the day of as we're uh, doing now but i got to watch this film a little earlier because i do own it so throughout the rest of the week i checked out some other films i've been putting on the back burner Mm -hmm. one of them was the film that we considered doing as well for this episode which is sinister and then that's right i watched a little bit of another film i was telling you about on shutter which is pretty interesting this movie made me forget that we considered sinister nice well, I'm glad to hear that, too. But that's nothing against Sinister, because I still feel like that one... I haven't actually seen worth... it. I can't comment on it. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but it's actually pretty decent, yeah. So I enjoy watching that. And like I said, I've caught a couple of other films throughout the week and a few shows here and there. So it's been pretty laid back, but also one where it's been productive as well. There was a big thing we hit... I mean, big for us. Yeah. And yeah, we'll sure. admit, straight up, we're a little bit biased. We know people involved <laughs> with the project, but... Saturday night? Yeah, Saturday night. We got to go hang out with a bunch of the local metal bands because our buddy Patrick, friend of the show, who has been on multiple times and will continue to be on in the future, plus our director in Jafar, plus writer, all that shit. Pretty much all of it. Does (laughs) everything. Yeah. Premiered his first short film that he did with some of the local metal bands to help promote their upcoming Tot Fest. I believe that's like August 18th. I think if yeah, you're I here in the Missoula right. area, August 18th down at the Dark Horse, Shit a celebration bands, of man. tater tots and metal, and I believe all the proceeds are going to one of the local charities, but I don't know which one off the top of my head. I would have to go look it up, and I'm not that prepared. No, it's okay. Whenever it gets close, we'll we'll probably maybe plug it a little bit more. However, we will plug. It's going to be out for a week by the time you hear this anyway, but we'll have shared it across our social media before then. But, dude, I fucking dug Tots, and not just because I dig Patrick, but, like, if you're going to give me a seven-minute fucking cult horror <laughs> comedy, it had everything It I was wanted. good, dude. You're right. Bias aside, it's very entertaining. It was well shot. I told him there was a lot of things that I recognized from the stuff that we do on Jafar. His little thumbprint's on it, for sure. Oh, no doubt. I'm definitely biased towards but his it's stuff. Done, but it's done where it's well hidden, too. Like, you'll get it if you know, but... If not, it just seems like a weird addition to the... Absolutely. So all the guys that were involved, whether it was with Blessed Doom or Walking Corpse Syndrome, they did a really good job, man. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I laughed a lot. (laughs) It was really good. Got to see some gore, which is cool. That was awesome. Fucking tater tots. Yeah. Weird culty shit. (laughs) I was telling Patrick, like, I really hope we get fucking Crimson Circle, the Savory Devil versus Tyrannical Order of the Spud. Hell yeah, dude. I'm down. It exists in the same universe at this point. (laughs) 
In my head, it definitely exists in the same universe. <laughs> but please go check it out. That would be awesome, just because we like getting our buddies' art out there. Absolutely, man. And like, if you're listening to horror podcast anyway, like it is fucking cult horror comedy. It really is, you know. And it kind of follows suit too, because a lot of those people are into it. And like six minutes out of your day. Yeah. Oh yeah, we fucking show up there and they're talking about the Evil Dead remake <laughs> and Jason X and shit. So. Like, damn, we felt right at home. That was fucking killer. All cool people. Hopefully shit will continue to happen and we'll continue to go set up shit at their barbecues. That'd be awesome. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, so that's why I say this is like the weekend's been really good, man. It's been a fun one. I can't think of much else. I didn't really take a look at any of the like news. news. Oh, they're bringing back Tommy. That's the news I have. Doyle, Tommy Doyle. Yeah, they're bringing yeah. back Tommy Doyle. Yeah, I saw that too. I was like, that's we'll pretty cool. We'll transition into the, what the little news we saw interesting from the week. Nice. So the interesting I've got news, news I saw, that. they're bringing back Tommy Doyle in the Halloween sequels. That's dope. Nice. So typically I don't really look at the TV side of horror a whole lot, but okay. I figured this week I'd take a gander and see what the heck is going on. So I'll start off because this particular director has been hot, mostly because we've reviewed one of his films more recently and the fact also that one of his films is currently in theaters. I'm talking about Alexandra Aja. So it looks like he is on board to direct an adaptation of Junji Ito's Tomi for Kubi Platform, which is pretty dope. Yeah, I guess I did see that. I'm not familiar with the source material, but I have seen some screenshots that make it look yeah. insane. So I'm excited to see that. I don't know a whole heck of a lot about it. I do know this. This coincides kind of perfectly with this episode particularly because... A lot of the films that were coming out in the early 2000s were mostly from the late 90s from Japan and Korea and Asian horror in general, but Tomi was a big one. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what he does, of course, because right now, you know, he's kind of all over the map, which is really cool. But yeah, that's just some interesting news, man, to see that he's on board for that. And like I said, it's going to be a television adaptation too, so that's really cool. I've got two other bits of news concerning television, and then I'll jump over to the movie side, but... This is something you and I both brought up was the fact that there was a Lost Boys pilot that was shot and then scrapped. Right. Well, apparently, the CW will be shooting a brand new pilot for the Lost Boys this fall. They want to make it happen, which, cool. Yeah, I was like, hey, I'm all for that. So apparently there were scenes that we thought we could do a better job on. So it's going to through a 40% rewrite. It's not a total rewrite. So they're going to keep some of the previous stuff, it sounds like. So, curious They're, enough, I like I like the fucking movie, so... Yeah. We'll see. And That's one we should probably get to. Oh, I mean... Yeah, I'm, I'm certain of it. Alright, so the next bit of news I have in terms of TV is that James Wan is producing I Know What You Did Last Summer, a pilot for Amazon Prime, so... You know, we're fans of James Wan. I like James Wan. I yeah. like I Know What You Did Last Summer. I'm not excited for an I Know What You Did Last Summer TV series. I'm not either, to be honest, dude. <laughs> but there is another one that's currently out. I know you and I watched a video for Slipknot. It was like one of their newer videos. Oh, The Boys. Dude. That looks good. That's oh, a fuck. superhero <laughs> breakdown. I think Super it's gory. out now? It is. It's on Prime as well. So if you have Amazon, check both of those out. All right, so now jumping over to the movie side of the news, this is a director we've actually talked about, and that's Luca Guadagnino. Well, it looks like he's in talks to direct a Lord of the Flies for Warner Brothers. So oh, they have okay. reacquired the rights to William Goldling's Lord of the Flies novel. This is Warner Brothers. So it's a possibility he might be on board to direct that. And it'd be interesting to see what he does with that material. 
Yeah. I mean, really, at its heart, it's kind of a nightmarish story. It really is. When you really just want to, like, sink your mind down into it. But he's so artsy-fartsy. <laughs> yeah, he really is. It might not I'm be for really, everybody. I know. I'm really I wondering think, how this could go. It could be an interesting tell. Yeah. You know, considering I mean, I'm down. We're... I'm just trying to figure out in my head what it could even <laughs> seem like. And I can't imagine it right now. All the colors in my head are way too washed out for a Lord of the Flies. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But, you know, if he's on board and he does go through with it, it'll be interesting to see what he does with it. All right, so this is something that we actually watched before we recorded, but we watched a couple of trailers. One of them was for Issa Lopez's Tigers Are Not Afraid. And the reason I pull this up is because it's... I kind of feel like reviews. we're going to cover that once it drops on Shutter. Yeah. Because that dude. looks really good. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I'm hoping it's not as much of a dark fairy tale as it leans a little bit more into the horror. Yeah, I know what you're saying with that. But, you know, sometimes we do wild cards, so mm-hmm. we'll see how much it lends its hand toward the horror side. But we have learned that Shudder has acquired the rights, which is really cool. So it's going to get a limited theatrical release. That is set for August 23rd for this year. And then probably sometime not too long after that, it'll be on Shudder. But... The likes of Del Toro, Stephen King, there's some other directors are giving this movie some pretty good praise. So excited to see what happens with that. All right, so the other bit of news that I have involves the film It, Chapter 2. And Andy Muschietti said that it's nearly going to be a three-hour runtime, like two hours 45 and some change. And there is going to be a director's cut. Yes, which we'll put it around that three-hour plus mark. <laughs> so I wonder how much it it'll compete like, with our Cell episode. It sounds like another movie that was like four hours assembly cut oh, from shit. what he was saying in the interviews. Well, yeah, if they're paring it down to that much, I'm sure there's, like you said, four hours plus. I'll say never get to see, but we'll see what happens. That's going to be fun, man. I'm really looking forward to that. It's coming out really soon. And he's saying it doesn't feel bogged down. We're going to find out for ourselves, but... Yeah, I mean, of course, the closer we get, the more we can kind of talk about that. All right, so you had mentioned the fact that you've seen news concerning the character Tommy Doyle. So it looks like he is making his return in Halloween Kills, which is really cool. So the actor is Brian Andrews. He originally starred in John Carpenter's 78 version. The other reason I have that pulled up, too, is because Nick Castle has confirmed that he is returning as Michael Myers in Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. And from what I've read, too, is that Halloween Ends is supposed to be the final film in the David Gordon Green trilogy of these films, which would kind of put an end to the Michael Myers and Laurie Strode storyline. All right, so this is another trailer that you and I have watched. But we did watch the trailer for Gwen. It looks like it might be a companion piece to such films as The Witch and Hakuzusa. It is slated for a theatrical, a VOD, and digital HD release on August 16th. For those who are curious, a brief synopsis is that Gwen is a young girl whose life seems to be collapsing around her, struggling with her mother's mysterious illness, her father's absence, there's angry villagers. It looks like there's some kind of dark force at hand, and it might be out of her control. So, curious enough, we talked about the fact that folk horror is having this huge resurgence. This is just another one of those films that might be stoking the flames. Yeah, it didn't stand out quite as starkly as, I mean, like The Witch. Right, exactly. But it didn't look bad. It looked no, good. No, I'm like, curious enough to watch it. Enough. Yeah. I, I kind of wish it would have been a little bit longer trailer. I don't normally like to see a lot, a lot of a movie if I don't need to. Like, yeah. I don't care about spoilers too much when I read them, but seeing them is something completely different. But 
I would have liked to see more. I agree with you there. They left a little wanting, but mm-hmm. maybe that's part of the appeal too. We'll see. All right, so the last bit of news I have, it does concern Shudder. This has to do with some of the releases that they're dropping in August, which includes the first six Nightmare on Elm Street movies, which mm-hmm. is pretty fucking dope. Big fan of all those. All right, so the other stuff that is going to be available, this is starting on August the 8th, the first episode of NOS. 482, which I've heard some pretty good news about. The film Incident in Ghostland, it's dropping on Thursday, August 15th. Incident in Ghostland is? Yep. Oh, cool. That's uh, Lager, right? It sure is. Pascal Lager, who we've covered before. <laughs> the movie Belzebuth is dropping on August 29th. Looks like this one is a Spanish-English film. And then I'd mention The Nightmare on Elm Street. All six of those films will be available this Thursday, which if you're listening right now, they're out. They're out. Okay. So, yeah, which is really dope. So, Another one that is included looks like the film Moon, which I'm a huge fan of, dude. That movie's fucking Moon's dope. Moon's up right now. Nice. Yeah, they just added that, like, today, I believe. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so there's. A, I'm just looking through a couple other ones. Raising Kane is actually a pretty good film. If you like Brian De Palma, Slumber Party Massacre One and Two are going to be available. The film Chopping Mall, 1980s, pretty wild film. The film Bad Moon. If you like werewolf films, Hell Night. Yeah, some pretty good films, man. So Shutter's nice. dropping some cool shit. So anyhow, that pretty much rounds out some of the stuff I've been up to. Some of the news bits I found kind of curious. I can't think anything else for me. So let's fucking get into the guts and bolts of A Tale of Two Sisters. Guts and Bolts. Yeah, yeah. Guts and Bolts, Tale of Two Sisters. I think there's a Frozen straight-to-video A Tale of Two Sisters short from Disney. I think you're right. It's not that. No. (laughs) Not quite. Uh, quite. Is it a Charlie Sheen Tale of Two Sisters? I don't know about that. You might be right. I know there's like... There's a lot of different tellings of this folktale that kind of have the same name or similar names. Oh, okay. Yeah, so this one is specifically the South Korean 2003 release. The highest grossing Korean horror movie, the first Korean movie screened in the U.S.? I think you're right in terms of uh, the Korean horror. Yeah. That's killer. Yeah, which is really dope, man. It made a pretty good little lick, too, on top of it, but... I know we like to talk a little bit about its synopsis. Oh, Jesus. It's so free. Synopsis. A young girl gets home from a mental hospital. And as soon as she's back, her and her sister have to start dealing with strange occurrences starting to happen, as well as weird vibes from the family. And it all just goes from there. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, so we chose this movie because it's a ghost story. So right, I'll say right. that. Right. So It's a ghost story. But but you don't know to what extent if you haven't seen <laughs> this. So that's okay. I mean, it's not really a spoiler, but that's kind of what it's loosely based around. All right. So like every week, we like to talk about the cast and the crew. This week, we've actually talked about this director before because of our episode of I Saw the Devil. And that director is Kim Chi-Woon. And he is known for directing other films, such as The Quiet Family. He's also directed the films The Foul King. He's directed the segment Memories for Three Extremes Part 2. We might also know him by his works The Good, The Bad, The Weird. I love it. Yeah, he's also directed the films 
Doomsday Book and the film The Last Stand. Now, on top of directing, he's also the writer. Now, this is loosely based off of a South Korean tale, and that tale goes by the name of, I'm going to try my best, it's called Chung Wai Hong Green, and what that translates to is Rose Flower Red Lotus. So our cinematographer on this is Yi Mugai. He's also known for being the DP on The Good, The Bad, The Weird. He was the cinematographer on I Saw the Devil and for the film Asura, The City of Madness. The editor on this film is Ko Im Ru. He's known for being the editor on such films as Attack the Gas Station, Public Enemy 1 and Part 3, the film Ghost House, the film Areng. He's also known for editing the film Mui, The Legend of a Portrait, the film M, and the film Duelist, which most of all of these are Korean films. The music was composed by Yi Byung-woo. He's known for composing the music for such films as Three Extremes Part 2 for the memory segment. He's also the composer for the film The King and the Clown, for the film For Horovitz, for the film Mother, a film that we've actually done as far as reviewing The Host, which is another really dope-ass South Korean film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the films All for Love and the film Untold Scandal. Now, the special effects was done by a visual effects supervisor, and that is Gim Wook, and he's done the special effects for such films as The King and the Clown, The Forbidden Kingdom, which is a really good film, The Good, The Bad, The Weird, I Saw the Devil, Flying Swords of Dragon Gate. This was produced by... U Jung Wan and U Gi Min, and the production companies were BOM Film Productions Company and Masaperi Films. The distributors were Chunggu Kram Film, which was the 2003 South Korean theatrical release. Big Blue Film, CineClick Asia, they helped with the all media worldwide. And Tartan Films helped with the 2004 USA theatrical release, which was subtitled. The release dates were June 13, 2003 in South Korea, October 11, 2003, here in the States at the Screamfest Horror Film Festival. Its budget was an estimated $3.7 million at box office. I've seen some various numbers. It depends on where you look. I've seen $1 million, but then I've also seen up to $4 million. So it depends on who you're looking at. And I do have a lone tagline, and that is, Our sorrow was conceived long before our birth. I don't know about that one, but okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, it's not bad. You know what? If that's an allusion to the fact that this is based on the, on the, on the fairy tale or the I folk think that's tale, a little bit more than, yeah, on the nose. Then that makes sense. That makes sense. Absolutely. And I have a feeling that might make more sense if we were Korean and grew up with having this story and having it already been told a number of different ways. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, <laughs> that's something I was wondering about from the get-go with this movie. Cause, well, not from the get-go, but upon finding out that it was based on a fairy tale, right. I'm like, well, do people go into this in Korea? Like knowing, knowing certain things about it. Like, does this play on certain expectations that it's not playing on? For I know me? you're saying, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Which we'll definitely talk about in the next section, so we'll put a, a little lamp beside that. All right, so moving from our crew, we'll go to our cast, which is a really good cast, and we'll start off with the actress. Her name is Im Soo Jung, and she plays Bae Sumei. Now, she's known for such television series as I'm Sorry, I Love You, which actually gave her like a lot of acclaim in South Korea, which I think led her to this role, if I'm not mistaken, and that was back in 2004. All right, she was also in the films I'm a Cyborg, but that's okay. 
She was also I've in the films. I've actually heard of that one. I haven't seen it yet. She was in the films Happiness, Come Rain, Come Shine, and the film All About My Wife. And like I said, most of all of these films are going to be Korean films. So mm-hmm. if you're familiar, you might have seen them. Our next actress is Moon Yoon Young. She plays Bae Soo Young. And she has been in such TV series as Autumn in My Heart, My Little Bride. She was in the film Innocent Steps, Partner of the Wind, which was from 2008, and more recently in the film The Throne. Right, the next actor I have is Yum Young Ah, and she plays the role of Hyo Yoon Ju. Now, she was in such films as H, which is a part of the Tartan Extreme Horror Film Collection. She was also in the films The Big Swindle. She was a part of Cut segment of Three Extremes. She was also in The Old Garden, the film Cart. She was in the television series Royal Family from 2011, and more recently in Sky Castle from 2018. The next actor I have is Kim Kapsu. He plays Bae Mu-hyun. He plays the father of the two girls in the film. He was in such things as Taebak Sunmak. He was also in the film Mutt Boy, and he was also in I Saw the Devil. He's a part of the police like crew. Yeah, he's in it for like ten seconds. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I totally recognize him. <laughs> All right. So the next actor I have is Yi Xiang Bi. She plays Mei She was the sister-in-law to Young Ju. Yeah. yeah. Now, she's been in such films as Magicians. She was in The First Shop of Coffee Prince, which is a television series from 2007. All right, the next actor I have is Yi Dae-yoon. He plays Sumi's doctor. He was in such films as Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. He's also in the film Old Boy. He was in the segment Cut for the film Three Extremes, and he was also in Lady Vengeance. I have two more actors, and that rounds out our cast. We have Bak Mi-hyun, plays Mrs. Bae. She was in Children and the film Mad, Sad, Bad. And the next person I have is Wu Ki Hong. He plays Sung Kyu, which is the brother of Yoon Chu's character. He was in the short Dong Myung. And like I said, that pretty much rounds out our cast. We gave you the crew, gave you a brief synopsis. There are some warnings we should give. Oh, well, we mentioned it's a ghost story. So, ghosts. I mean, there's a little bit of disturbing images if you don't like yeah. that kind of stuff, like ghost stories per se. Little bit of blood and violence. Yes. Kind of just an overall sad scenario. Yeah. It's very atmospheric. Mm-hmm. It relies a lot on atmosphere. So it is close to two-hour film, so it's a little bit of a slow burn. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's also Korean, so if you don't like subtitled films, <laughs> then it might not be your cup of tea. I'm trying to think if there's things in this that feel more extreme than us just giving you these warnings, but it's not that bad, really. No, it's not. I mean, it's It's tame in comparison to what we usually do. Yeah. Just a little emotional, I guess. A little emotional. It does rely on that, which is okay. Yeah. You know, you might want to bring a tissue or two, and that's not for the happy kind of tissues. No. I think that's it. Shit, I don't know. That's, yep, that's all I can think of. Likewise. Well, let's get into actually fucking talking about this and uh, get into how did it make us squeal. How does that make you squeal? You know, I realized we should have given him one more warning. And that is, if you have not fucking seen this movie, don't listen to this fucking part of the podcast. Because this movie contains not just twists, but then another twist. And then arguably another twist? Arguably. The last one could just be reconfirming a previous thing you might have already suspected. We'll get into all of that. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, 
Shyamalan would fucking wet himself at the twists in this movie. I totally agree with that. Like, this would give him a run for his fucking money. All right, so a little bit of history, a little bit of backdrop before we get into this is last week you and I were talking about some of the films that we've done recently and just trying to get a feel for kind of what direction we want to go in. And we fell upon the fact that we haven't really talked about a formal ghost story, right? And, you know, going through, like, the catalog, it's like, man, this one kind of stood out. Major reason being not only because it's on Shudder, which is pretty nice, but for the simple fact that this one I've seen, like, years ago. I own the film. I'd only seen it, I think, once, maybe twice, but I'm leaning towards once prior to us picking the film. But I do remember the impression, or at least the feeling I had after watching the film, and I kind of reconfirmed that with my sister who's back in South Carolina. But anyway, have a little bit of a history with it. I figured it'd be one that might be up your alley, too. I fucking love this movie. So going into it, it was easy to guess one of the twists. Kind of. Because I'd never seen it before. And I suppose this is the easiest way to talk about the movie is it's a little bit of a cliche. Like if you're going to name your movie A Tale of Two Sisters, one of the sisters is dead. Right, right, right. right. And I know that that's not the Korean title for this movie, but (laughs) it is kind of the accepted title. You know what I mean? Like when people talk about this movie, they talk about it as A Tale of Two Sisters. But wow, I did not know how this was all going to end up shaking out. And then, like, it was super easy to reconfirm that because the dad never interacts with Sumi. Oh, no, it's uh, Su Yun, which is the younger right. sister. Right. Oh, that's right. Su Yun. Yeah, yeah. I knew I was going to fuck him up at some that's point. Okay. So I'm going to do, do it right, up off, right off the bat. Anyway, it was like the father never interacts. But what fucked me up was then, I'm just going to say, a stepmother. Yeah. If you've seen this movie, you know she's not the stepmother. But I think that's going to be the easiest way to identify her because she's thought to be the stepmother for two-thirds of this movie. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Which, that's a nice... And I don't want to continually fuck up her name, so... No. <laughs> I know what you're saying. You're right. So there are a lot but of twists. she interacts with her. She does. And so I'm like, oh, so she can't be a ghost. One would believe, right? <laughs> right. Damn it, Which this is, movie's good. <laughs> that's why I like this film in particular, too, because it has those twists and turns, and when you do get the revelations... At least like, in my perspective. being a total dick, but... Right. But there's he's reasons. He's dealing with his own hard times. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. So this one is very, very rooted also in the fact that there's family tragedy and a family is very at odds with how to deal with it. And it kind of delves... I mean, it really does delve into, like, mental illness and, you know, different states of mind, which is another thing I started thinking about it, too, because of some of the films we've done more recently. So... I think it helped me have a little bit more perspective on the film. Yeah. I mean, honestly, in a lot of ways, this movie is very akin to High Tension, which we just did a couple weeks ago. No doubt. Very akin to High Tension. (laughs) I've got a really interesting note about that once we get way past this part. I kind of don't know how to lead into this movie because almost every scene in this movie can be read a completely different way once you know what the twists are. Right. So I guess maybe in easy ways, maybe without... Trying to go through the entire film. Let's give a bare bones. Yeah. Say what the twists are, and then we'll talk about specifics. Right. right, right. right? So lead it leads off with the fact that one of the girls, who mm-hmm. is in this case is Sume, she is at a it looks like a mental war. Perhaps she's being interviewed by a doctor, 
And then it cuts to like a flashback sequence or presumably like maybe she's being released from the hospital and this is what's happening right now. And it all seems to kind of be a cycle. This doesn't necessarily have to be a flashback either. Right, right, right. There, it you, can just be like a week from that time period. I agree with you there too. So the premise is the two girls, Sumei, Suyun, return to the estate with their father. And as they arrive, the stepmother is also there, which you can tell from the get-go that she's given them a bit of... There's this weird from chemistry. From the get-go, she kind of reminded me of uh, Dara. <laughs> a little bit. A little yeah. bit, little bit Dara, especially in that opening. She yeah. gets a little bit more real at different times, but... I like that. There's a really interesting word that's used a lot for that style of introducing her characters in other scenes. Long story short is as the movie progresses, right, you see the conflict. Something happened... Something profound, especially with the girls, we find out that their mother is no longer around, right? Kind of uncertain exactly what happened, but as the clues come together, we found that there was like some infidelity between the father and the stepmother prior to the mother's demise. And then the further we progress, of course, you had already mentioned one of the sisters is dead, we learn. And then there's another huge twist a little bit later on. God, yeah. So it progresses along. And things are weird, and like there's an awkward dinner. Yeah. That even once you know the twist, that dinner is kind of really hard to explain. Yeah. What well, one thing I like too is I think even before that you have the nightmare dream. You have the nightmare with a, with a ghost and a hand coming up underneath the dress, and then it gets pushed to a point with the father where he can't take it anymore, and you get the first twist, which is we find out that Su Yun, who's a young sister, is dead. Right. So, she died as part of whatever tragedy happened. Right. Because you right. still don't know the details yet. That's all you know. You know that she's dead at this point. Things start to get a little bit more fractured. Is that the point where even though you know Suyun's dead, suddenly you have the stepmother and the bag? Does the stepmother and the bag happen after that? It happens a little bit further than that. I mean, a little bit later down the road. But yeah, I, I mean, it does come to that at a point. Anyway, things really fracture, things get really weird, and there's kind of some abuse towards the girls, which you suddenly know doesn't make as much sense, but you're kind of wondering how this is all working out, only to get to the next twist, which is Sumei is the stepmother. Yeah, yeah. Because they bring the real... Stepmother, uh, nurse, whatever. Yunjun? Yeah, Yunchu. Yunchu? In who used to be her mother's nurse when she had a chronic illness that apparently started having an affair with a father, though that's never confirmed by any reliable narrator. Yeah, exactly. A lot of it is, how much do you rely on one person's narration? Because it sounds like this is being told from Sumei's perspective. I would say the thing backing it up, though, is the mother deciding to commit suicide. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. If nothing else, she believed it as well. Right. No, I agree with that, too. Like, there's a lot of truth as well. There's not, I mean, there is some ambiguity, but there's a lot of stuff that, I think, watching this two or three times through. You can definitely lean more one way. Yeah, yeah. I'll admit there's a little bit of ambiguity, but... He probably was sleeping with the nurse. Oh, I, I have no doubts about that. But <laughs> I'm sold 100% on that fact. Mm-hmm. or that Well, not say fact, but that idea, that concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right. So once you figure out there's a twist, right, that not only is Sumei's younger sister dead, but she was also projecting 
like a personality that she needed an adversary. She found it in the stepmother, which is a, a likely one, right? And like she's starting to get her memories back, like in fragments, right? She gets a little flashback snippets to where it starts to make a little bit of sense to her. And then she gets to reveal like, oh, shit, I know we're doing like the broad one. <laughs> and then once you learn that, she goes back to the hospital, Sume. Mm-hmm. And then there's one more twist. <laughs> right. After a little confrontation, you get the twist of the real-life Yunchu getting, in fact, attacked by a ghost. Yeah. Uh, presumably of the mother, like we saw earlier. Dude, it's it's pretty heavy. So you can so look at it, too, as like a revenge. does exist. Right, right, right. Like I said, it's another twist, too, which I would like because that's a part of where it's like, how much do you read into that part of it? And how much is it maybe just... Who knows? All right. <laughs> no, I mean super basic. I, I want to talk a lot about this, but... All right, so that's your broad stroke, right? That's your simplest, like, way of going through the film without spoiling a whole bunch of shit. There's a lot of tales from the set, like, from the onset after watching it the first time through. Like, I remember there were certain twists. I couldn't remember them exactly. But then the second oh, time... Oh, it's so foreshadowed. Yeah, yeah, there's I so did, many I things. didn't bother writing them all down, but from that opening scene with the doctor, you have, do you know who you are? Yeah, that's huge. Uh, he asks, do you know who this is, while his finger's on Eun Chu. Yeah. I mean, he's holding up a picture, right? He family. says, do you know who this is, while his finger's on Eun Chu, and then he follows it up with, uh, this is your family, which makes the previous line a little bit ambiguous, but right. he does, like, literally, like... Yeah. Do you know who this is? Because it's not you. Like, Well, then, yeah, the question that he makes is, who do you think you are? Now, I think your first time through, that sounds like a rude question. Right? <laughs> who do you think you are? Right. I mean, it has a huge, profound meaning. Because as the story unfolds, we learn that she has a mental illness because of these series of events that happened prior. And the way that she's dealing with them is that she's projecting either through guilt or through anger and betrayal, etc. So she's projecting a lot of different people in her family, specifically her sister and her stepmother. Okay, so here's the question. We know from the end that ghosts are real. Are real. Right, right, right. How often in this movie is her sister her mental illness, and how often is she a ghost? Mm, good question. Because I don't think she is purely just one or the other. Without saying, like, oh, I agree with you and everything, I think there's a lot of truth in that, right? Just because of the way things get played out. Some of it, yeah, total projection, total figment of her imagination are a part of her mental illness. And there are parts where I think there is that knowing just of this story is told in the house, the house can also be looked at as a character because it's housing these ghosts, right? Whether you want to look at it metaphorically or symbolically, like ghosts could be just the things that haunt you from your past. Or in this case, it could be specters, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So I think there's a little bit of truth in both of those statements. Like some of it, yeah, is from her. Some of it could be from the house. Like it's still trapping the people that are there. We have to wander a little bit outside of what's presented in the movie, but there's an alternate ending where her sister's ghost does appear to her before she commits suicide. Mm. Which I almost like that ending better, but <laughs> yeah, she overdoses on the pills, which the pills falling to the ground were kind of a recurring theme throughout the movie. Yeah, and it would have ended with like one last shot of like the pills, except it's almost completely empty this time because she just took them all. Yeah. 
Which, you know, that's interesting, too. I think that will lend more to, like, the <clears throat> grieving side. Like, it's just a perpetual cycle of this tragedy, you know? But I believe that alternate ending includes her sister's ghost actually appearing to her in the hospital. Huh. Uh, which cool. would confirm that her sister... There is a her sister's ghost, and it rather than simple mental projections, but yeah, which you know the, the version that we get, I think it leaves it. Although a I mean, little ambi- like I said, there's a, a little ambiguity at the end. You can read into it either way. Well, the girl under her, the sink is her sister's ghost. It is right. Yeah. So yeah. I guess her sister's ghost does for sure exist. Right. I mean, it, well, yeah. It's I just mean, that I just it that occurs point. during a point in the movie where. The existence of ghosts is kind of thrown up in the air because of the mental illness aspect. Right, because we know that she's the only one who's seeing this at this point until the dinner party. Or because someone else confirms it outside of the household. Right, yeah. So that makes sense. Okay. So we talked about like uh, some of the foreshadows, some of the signs, right? So once the girls arrive at the estate, this is the second tell, is that the father addresses Sume. He's like, are you ready? Whatever. As she exits the car door... Her sister comes out the same side, and he's only addressing her. So that lets me know he's only talking to her, the other ones, the ghosts. I mean, even though I knew that, it's like, well, that's a sign right there if you don't already know that. I think they also mentioned that he hasn't been there. Like, nobody's been up there for a little bit. I think he's also been not living at home where the tragedy occurred. I can see that. And only two bags get brought into the house, his and hers. Yeah, so... (laughs) This is interesting, too, because the way that they frame certain things, like the swing set and the balcony, you mm-hmm. know, from the second floor, it takes your eyes toward those things, but you don't know what their meaning is quite yet, which I thought was neat because, of course, throughout as oh, the yeah, film... Oh, yeah, because it happens a few times where she'll just, like, stop and turn and look at right, something. Right, but you don't know the significance of it, which I think is clever, the way that this story is told. One of the first notes I wrote, too, is the score itself... I was like, it's beautiful, but it's also haunting. I think it has a very melancholic feel to it. It's a really pretty piece, but mm-hmm. it's very sad, too. <laughs> and the cinematography is really on point in this film. While we're talking about both these things, the soundtrack for this movie is fucking beautiful. But one of the things I appreciated most about this movie is how well it was able to use silence to draw yeah, attention. good point. There's a lot of very silent parts of this movie that are just exquisitely timed to just pull every last (laughs) bit of tension out of any moment yeah but also about the cinematography and especially oh the way the house was framed and stuff like that it wasn't oversaturated in this way but it reminded me a lot of the reflecting skin yeah yeah and like i said this movie isn't oversaturated it's still kind of dull and dour kind of like the characters are but the director isn't afraid of color not everything has to be that. Some yeah. colors stand out and pop. Sometimes it's on characters. Sometimes it's in the background and just, you know, the world that they're in. But Yeah, for sure, dude. I think that's a good point. That's something, too, I noted as the film plays along is the use of certain colors, whether they're reds or the blues. Or the whites. Yeah. Or the light colors, not necessarily yeah. white. He likes to use the term I was going to refer to earlier was it's called chiaroscuro which is the combination of using like um, a character and more of like a shadow or dark and then mixing the light. Mm. And then the way it's framed, of course, the way that a costume is set up, it's to give you this almost like an apparition, right? Like a ghost-like presence. And I think that's kind of neat because that's how we're introduced to uh, Yun Chu's character when the girls arrive. 
Well, and if you want to talk about duality and the use of light and dark, Yoon Chu's asymmetrical cut is almost always covering half of her face. Yeah, that's a good point. I thought that was kind of a little cliche, but in this regard, I think it was done really good in taste. Is where you have the hair kind of flopping over the one eye, where it's not done like. But she had a very much. short cut, and it had like yeah. the diagonal edge where something's off. Even you the mirror, I mean? yeah, even the mirrors when she's applying makeup and stuff, it's a little stilted. You know, it's not perfectly symmetrical. It's asymmetrical. So it's just like the framing. And as I was watching some of the behind the scenes stuff, I was like, man, this guy's a technician. And the reason I say that is like they were showing how they were shooting certain scenes mm -hmm. and everything's taped out. Like everybody has a mark to hit. I was like, man, that's why this film looks so photogenic. It's like you can actually tell this story just in the frames because this is just the way that it is framed, the scenes and the characters and the background i mean it was done on purpose you know it had a purpose as well but just certain things like that's what i really appreciated i guess like going back to the front of the film i think maybe the second thing that i remembered too was like the whistling scene with the girls okay because that was one that was like oh man this is where they're starting to pull on the heartstrings right there's this interesting bond that's another foreshadowing moment too it's something that their mother did, a song that the mother whistled or maybe harmonized. One of the girls can whistle it, one of the girls cannot. And that comes back way later in the film. You can look at it as like a peaceful moment, like serenity perhaps. Oh, and then at the very end, you can hear the whistle when she's in the hospital. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, so, and the initial impression is just like it's a bonding moment. And in the second, it's like, she's carrying out something that's going to create peace or harmony amongst this family <laughs> finally that's kind of bittersweet too you know mm -hmm. so that's what i'm getting at it's like there's a lot of those foreshadowing moments some of the lines are mirrored like i said some of the color schemes are mirrored with some of the characters i think specifically blue that was one that kind of stood out to me a lot was the costume like choice is if one of the characters was wearing blue predominantly sume then usually it was Yun Chu who was also wearing like a shade of blue. Or if Sumei was more pronounced in red, then Yun Chu would also be in red. So I noticed kind of those shifts in color schemes and whatnot. There was even a transitional shot towards the end of the film that I thought was really dope, where the wallpaper in the background initially was blue, and then as she's walking Sumei, it turns into red. And it's like, oh, that's where she's having another flip moment or like dual personality mm -hmm. moment. So it's just little things like that. The Identical Diaries was another one of the giveaways. That certainly was. The, I can't believe I didn't notice that as much the first time the through, clothes, but the second time through it really stood out to me. Yeah, the clothes, like you were saying, the diaries, and then also with them, like all their period syncing up as well. Right, so right before that is The Nightmare with the Mom Ghost, which at this point in the movie doesn't confirm ghosts because it's in a nightmare. But then ghosts are real, so it probably was a ghost. But what the fuck, Mom Ghost? <laughs> What did you read from that? Did you get anything from that? So, okay, so the bigger... I don't like this. First off, I don't know why mom was being so fucking freaky towards her daughter. <laughs> yeah. But the period thing was really weird in this movie in particular, especially because it's a very young teenage girl. Like, she wasn't entirely freaked out like it wasn't her first time, but you generally, especially if you're using it for more of the symbolism side, it's like her becoming a woman most of the time in movies and she has a personality that she feels is like in a relationship with her father yeah that's a good point 
that made it a little bit weird for me. I, I know you're saying. But then they never went further with it. So I'm like, okay, so what the fuck were you guys doing other than like giving us another point to be like, by the way, they're the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but then right. what the fuck was with the hand? Okay, so this <laughs> this is where I think having that second, third time view definitely mm-hmm. helps is we know, we learn that the mother committed suicide, right? And I feel like the hand coming out, it's kind of symbolizing uh, Su Yoon, like her character. Like the mother is already dead. She lost a daughter. It's a weird stillbirth kind of image. Like mm-hmm. they're losing a daughter, which leads into... I can see that. Which I mean, leads that into the blood, sense. which is like the duality between death and birth. You know, she's fertile while her mother and the other women in her family are not. <laughs> I guess, yeah. The first time through, especially with the period thing, I'm like, I know the symbolism that this is usually used for. And then later on, when it was revealed that Sume and Yun Chu are the same person. Yeah. And then I remembered her getting into bed with dad. I was like, are they implying something even more sinister about the backstory? Because they still, at that point, hadn't actually shown us the real backstory. Right, 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 right. I know um, what you're saying with that. You could read into that, but I don't but think they give the, you Yeah, enough. but I don't think that actually pans yeah. out, especially after a second time through. But it was weird that first time as I was putting things together. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, because she does have a personality that is with her father in her head. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what the stepmother is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, like I said, that second time, maybe third time through, that to me feels but more like... But Dad's not in that place. Like, no, he's no, never no, going to no. follow through on that. So. No, 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 no. That to me is more like, like you said, it was more of a projection. Whether or not that was actually her in those situations is, is one thing you can kind of argue. But it just felt like that was just her way of, like, viewing her father's his movements and his routines and shit, you know? I do think in that situation that that was her, but... I think the father was at first just trying to be like, I'm comforting my daughter and she needs to try to fall asleep because yeah. she's tired. We're out here trying to get her right. Yeah. She's a fucking whack job. That's a good point. Yeah. You and don't then, leave her and, but then like, as he laid there, like he knows what her mental condition is uh, and it just yeah, kept, I think it just kept creeping into his own head yeah, too much where it's yeah. like, this probably isn't the way to go weird. about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point, too. I didn't really think about that, but that makes sense. So there was a moment in this film, too. So the pills, like the dinner party scene and stuff like that. Even leading into that, there's a phone call that the dad is having about the fact that they're going to arrive, right? Mm -hmm. And as you're watching it, I think for the first time specifically, too, it's like that can be a confusing dinner party scene. But I think the thing that lends its hand is that both the sisters are not there, even though you know one of them, they're dead. That's beside the point is that Sume is not in the dinner scene. And then the story that Yun Chu tells, even the brother doesn't remember. He's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And then so you have is that, that fr- something that happened between the sisters? Is that what I think that's probably to- what it was. Yeah. And the brother of Yun Chu, which I guess would be like the step-uncle or whatever, mm-hmm. and his wife, they're just kind of playing along with the charades. Like They were there when that incident happened, as we learn later on in the right. film. Right. And so they know her mental condition and she's telling this wild off story and they're like, oh, my God, it's like they're doing a courtesy, but they really shouldn't be there, especially in her state of mind. I think that's for some people can be confusing mm-hmm. because it's like, why wouldn't the brother remember this? And why would you and Chu just like start acting up? And like I was thinking, too, <laughs> this is my comedy brain thinking. 
I was like, I bet she'd be really fun to smoke weed with. She, <laughs> she has straight up giggles. Now she's telling that shit. But the sister-in-law, she starts having that seizure. And that's, I think, where some of that's horrifying, the way that she does that and the screams that she's doing. Whether or not that's totally believable is one thing. Is she getting possessed? You know. Because her hand starts doing. Yeah. The... I think you could say maybe, perhaps. I think for her, it was just seeing a ghost in the house it freaked her the fuck out, and she doesn't know how to respond. Short-circuited something it for did. a second. It did. She got violent, man. She got like a violent seizure. I don't know how soon those pills would ha- you know, work. I don't mm-hmm. know all that science, but I did like the way it played out, even the way she like threw up bile I do know you're herself. not supposed to restrain her like that. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, that was fucked up. That was kind of visceral, too, and the fact that Yun Chu was in the background and she starts to freak out, and kind of move and you know it's like exposing certain characters and character shifts per se mm-hmm. it's like huh all right there's some more tales right to what extent you can read into it it depends on your viewing i suppose so the little bit after that when yun chu is checking everything out though i wrote down god damn that's how you do a fucking jump scare because the way that was Jesus. all drawn out and she goes that over was. like she goes through like seven or eight moments that's fucking cliche jump scare <laughs> territory. Yeah. And then it looks like they're just going for the weird out moment where suddenly, oh, look, the broken hair clip is there. Yeah. And then, nope. No, gotcha. I gotcha. But something I like, too, is you have like these little cut scenes, too, where you see a girl at the dinner table mm-hmm. in a dress, and then she disappears, and then she reappears. And so learning about who wears that stuff, it's supposed to signify that that's the ghost of Su Yoon, you know, kind of haunting her or whatever. But it would be haunting her sister at this case. Right. right. Like maybe reminding her sister of those series of events. But also the way that the dad talks to Yoon Chu, which of course we know is Su Mei. But if you don't know that, he tell her, go to bed. Go to bed. Uh, yeah. And I was thinking, it's like, that's something you tell a little kid. Well, he does. I mean, that's the point, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, who talks to his wife like that or whatever? So that's another telltale sign. And those pills, of course, that recurring theme of the pills. And like you said, her finding the ghost in the house, the couple driving off, and she's confirming that she saw the ghost. That's what led to the seizure and all that stuff. Him apologizing. So what did you make of the fish fake out? The fish fake out? Ah, you know, that's a good point. I don't know exactly how to read into that, to be honest. I mean, that whole scene, too felt like a dream state because there was a white noise the static from the television set mm-hmm. you know so you had her checking on her dad but also arguing with herself through the projection of yun chu and then like i said she's going in the kitchen and finding the gore in the fucking refrigerator i don't know how much to read I, into that i have no idea what to make of that i don't either i mean maybe that's something that we're missing cultural, cultural thing yeah might be some reference to the fairy tale uh, no. Not as far as I know. I read it. I read a, a synopsis. I did too. I was like, no, not unless it's thrown there like a small little bit of it. But no. Is it literally a red herring? I, maybe. Didn't. That's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, misdirection. I can't remember how far after the good covered jump scare this happens, but my next actual note mm-hmm. is Sume saving Su Yun from the fucking closet. Yeah, the dresser. The dresser is so fucking heartbreaking that once you know the actual story. Oh my god, man. Yeah. And that poor girl is like reliving that nightmare, you know, and she's keep telling her like she's gonna protect her, you know, this is not it won't happen again. Like, God damn, they're hitting you like it's like a boxing match. They're hitting you with a bunch of jabs and they'll wait till the late rounds to hit you with that haymaker. 
Yeah. So we haven't talked about what actually happened yet, and I think it's helpful at this point in the, the movie. Yeah, yeah. So what you find out what happens in the end was that the mom killed herself. Yeah. By the Okay, we're going to talk about this for a second. Okay. If you're going to hang yourself in the fucking dresser? Yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. Because that's not like... It's not a like a walk-in dresser, like a closet dresser. I mean, it's a it's like an antique dresser, wardrobe piece. And first, you have to crawl inside that fucking thing, and then hang yourself inside of it. And on top of it, she's doing it in her daughter's room, which is even more morbid. Oh, it would just be hard to like make yourself, yourself keep in the position because it's without a tip. It's over, like perhaps, a too. yeah, that too. Plus, it's like a foot and a half shorter than you are. Yeah. Like, the way you're sitting in it, like, you have to arrange yourself so that you're actually choking yourself, you know point. what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Because otherwise you're just laying there with shit around your neck. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. However she did it, she kills herself. Soo Hyung finds mother, right? And she's trying to help, like, frantically trying to remove her mother, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, fucking dress her tips on top of her. And everybody in the house hears it, but nobody, ha- like, makes an action to do anything until it's... Of course, Yoon Chu, she Yoon goes Chu in. goes. She's, I can understand it to an extent, like, she's witnessing something horrific, but her actions are like, what the fuck are you doing? Right? She has a change of heart for a moment until she right. runs into Sumei. Yeah, Yoon Chu is about to just walk off and let it happen. Then she starts to come back because she's like, I can't do that. Yeah. Then she runs into Sumei who was halfway also looking like she was going to go check it out herself right. until she runs into Yoon Chu. Right, and then they have their They have a spat daughter. because Sumei thinks that Yoon Chu is sleeping with their father and is breaking up the family. Yeah. And so oh, they like she doesn't go check out the room to spite Yoon Chu. Yeah. And Yoon Chu doesn't go back into the room like she was about to do to spite Sumei. That's so fucked up. There's a couple lines that happened in that exchange, right? Sumei, before she can storm off, Yoon Chu tells her something that's very profound because there's a line that's shared. Oh, I didn't write it down. I, right. I know you. I know it because it was mentioned before, I mean, and then it comes back around, and you realize the significance of it. it. Yeah, it's pretty sad too. So one of the things that they say right to each other is uh, during that exchange, this is what Yoon Chu tells Sumei as they're having that argument. And she tells her, she's like, you might regret this moment. Keep that in mind. And Sumei, this is what she tells her. She's like, what can be worse than standing here with you? When you're here, I want to be as far away from you as I can. Do you get that? Right? And then she storms off. And then that's when Yoon Chu just lets Su Hyun die in her fucking bedroom. And it's sad because... You watch Sumei like walk past her dad, storm off. It looks like she's going down that trail that we see earlier in the film. She turns around for a moment, and you see Yoon Chu out there on the balcony. And then as that happens, they do like a cutscene with Su Hyun still trapped, and she's like, "Help me, Sumei!" <laughs> like, "Oh no, don't do that!" <laughs> and then yeah, you get the you know the outro with the music, and then the pan, and it cuts to that gray still, and it's like. And oh, it's her stopping for a second and looking back right where you'd seen her do it a few times earlier yeah, in the movie. Yeah, exactly. So this poor girl... Wait, is... so what was that? Do that quote again. Okay. Because it also ties into another quote that oh, yeah, Yoon Chu says earlier. That's what I'm getting movie. at. It's like, yeah. yeah, that line. So Yoon Chu tells her, you might regret this moment. 
she doesn't say the next line, which is keep that in mind. She says, you might regret this moment. There's an exchange they have earlier in the film. Yeah, the, are you thinking of the, do you know what's really scary? Yeah. You want to forget something, totally wipe it out of your mind, but you never can. It can't go away, you see, and it follows you around like a ghost. That's sad, man. That's like such a profound little bit of a monologue. You know, it's like, in a way, she recognizes that, you know, there's these memories that she can never get rid of. And they are like a ghost. They keep haunting her. So that's what I'm getting at. It's like, this girl's been in such distress, so much grief, you know, family tragedy, that she keeps reliving these moments. And now she's projecting them onto other people in scenarios and how they played out. But the thing, too, is once we learn that, even at the end, that little bit that precedes it with her in the hospital and she hears the whistle from her sister, this time, of course, it's clear. There's a clarity in the whistle. Mm-hmm. And, and it seems that it's either, I think it's Su Hyun is who they were supposed to portray at the end who actually offs Yun Chu. Oh, okay. Right? And so it's like her exacting revenge, you know, getting revenge, not only for the infidelity, but for letting her die. And then also for still torturing her sister, you know. So you can look at it as there's a little bit of a happy ending. But there's also that sad bit at the end that lets you know exactly why this stuff has been going on in the first place. That's why it's kind of fucked up, but I kind of like the suicide ending more because I almost think of that as almost the happier ending yeah. by the time all this is done. I know what you're saying. Like, there is a really, because now she still has to carry that around. Even though there is a little bit of peace, there's never ever going to be true harmony, though. One in the suicide ending. This is a suicide where it's been confirmed that there's some sort of afterlife. Yeah. And her mother and sister, the two people that she actually wants to be with, are actually there. Yeah. So I know what you're saying. Like, yeah, you know, it's a taboo to, you know, kill yourself off yourself. But if you believe on the, you know, the afterlife, then you're being reunited. So it's not really that bad. And especially if it's been literally proved. Right, right. Exactly. In the reality of this movie, the ghosts exist. And that's kind of how I read it a little bit. It's like... The mother and Su Yoon, right, is now they're at peace, right? They don't have to keep reliving their own purgatory or the series of events in that house because they got rid of the person who perpetuated that But Su is always going to have to. That, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm getting at. Is that even though she does have a little bit of peace of mind, she's still going to be haunted regardless. There's going to be fragments of that. I can see the suicide ending being maybe a little bit more harmonious, you mm-hmm. know, per se, but... All right, there was a couple of things that really jumped out to me. And I think it's just because of the films that we've done, some of the shit that we watch, was the score. Even though I watched the documentary and the way the guy scores the films, he said he doesn't use stuff you know, that was in previous works of his, and he also doesn't like to incorporate things from the outside world. Okay. So, but you, mm, I don't know about that. Because if you're familiar with any kind of Twin Peaks stuff and the score of Angelo Badalamenti... It's eerily similar. I mean, just the haunting score, like the uh, the orchestral pieces and, mm-hmm. you know, some of the piano ballads and whatnot. It's like, man, it's eerily similar. Like, it could just be collective thinking, you know. It's like, but it's the time periods too. It's like, I don't know, dude. Regardless, like, the score is amazing in this film. Like, so the cinematography is awesome. The fact, too, that... We've reviewed one of his films prior with I mm-hmm. Saw the Devil and then seeing an earlier piece of work than that. I even saw certain shots that he used in I Saw the Devil from Tell of Two this. Sisters. Like some of the the scenes with the medicine cabinet, like I think even some of the action sequences and the drive that 
the uh, brother and sister-in-law have on the way to the estate, which is oh, kind of yeah, a weird that drive moment. reminded me of some. I was like, who the fuck just leaves a tent? Not only on the side of the road. I was reading something about that. Apparently, that's actually not an uncommon sight in Korea. Okay. It's, it's something having to do with agricultural something. I don't okay. know. But it's, I was just curious, like, because that's so odd. to Apparently, yeah, that is us. kind of like a localized okay. thing. Okay. Just... I didn't know how much I needed to read into that, whether that was like symbolic of the sack that we see at the end with her delusions, thinking her sister's right. in the fucking sack, and it now being in the middle of the road. Anyway, just stuff like that. Certain things that he used, just like our friend Patrick Kirkley, you know, you use certain, whether it's shots or what have you, and you hone that skill. But I did see some of those snippets. I did have a couple of questions to ask you, because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we can talk about this film. I think we could probably talk about this all day, but wanted to, but... <laughs> All right, the first thing which you actually brought up, this is kind of funny, was one of the first questions I had is, is this a South Korean version of high tension? This is a two-part question because... It's very high tension-y. Because I said, who will ask this question first? <laughs> <laughs> it's very high tension-y. Yeah. And I think it helps... I think it's better than high tension. <laughs> Honestly, I do too. The, the story is... I like High Tension. I know we both do, but I feel like this one is like the superior fucking storytelling. Mm-hmm. No discredit to Aja and those guys, but this one's like, it's close to a masterpiece in storytelling. All right. The second one I wrote down, is this the saddest tale we've reviewed? Oh, that's tough. I mean, I know that's a very I feel like there question. was something else that once you knew the twist, it got really sad, but I'm trying to remember what it was. Yeah. It's like, this one, man, it... it even when, I remember when I first Vamp watched it. for a it. second. I'm going to look through our, our... No problem. But I was just thinking, the first time I remember watching this film, I got a little misty-eyed. I was like, damn. Because, you know, those series of events that unfurl, you're like, damn, that's fucked up. That's really sad. Especially with the younger sister being trapped like that. And even the second, third time through, like, even though I knew those moments were coming up, I still, like, it still kind of resonated a little bit. So there's a little bit of that. But, like, one that maybe hit on those, those particular heartstrings as much. That we've done. No, I'm scrolling through right now. I'm trying to... You know what? I can say maybe uh, the last one that maybe felt a little bit like this, just a little bit, was uh, They Look Like People. Just because I know that that they character like was dealing people. with like mental yeah. illness and it was saved through friendship. I felt like that one maybe resonated a little bit. I think any film that maybe deals with something that affected you directly will resonate a lot more. I haven't really dealt with mental illness like in my family. But I have with friends who have had that in their families. So, um, you know, I can sympathize with that. You know, this might be the saddest one we've done. Yeah. Cause I, I was, was looking through and I'm like, no. I remember like... even watching like when we did Kronos. Like it has some bittersweet moments because of the relationship between the grandfather and the granddaughter. But I don't know maybe to like this extent, like the bond and the tragedy. and Right. You know. And like... There's a certain touching quality to the relationship between the girls and martyrs, for sure. Oh, yeah. But you don't get to see as much of that play out. I'm trying to think of what else we've done. I think, yeah, like you said, they look like people, kind of. Like, it, it, the emotion's there, but it has a bit of a happier ending, too. It does, because, <laughs> you don't. first of all, there's, like, really no death. I right. Mean, that film, I think you can just look at it as friendship has saved what could have been a very dour situation. In this case, death, you know, with the way that it happens in this family. Cannibal Holocaust is kind of sad. I mean, it is sad. It is sad. But it's almost sad more for meta reasons than... I agree with you there, too. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I pose this question. It's like, I can't really pinpoint a film that maybe had this impact. Like, got me to the point of, like, misty-eyed. You know what I mean? 
Okay. The third question I have <laughs> is Kim Chi Hoon, who is the director, is like, would you consider him a master of Korean horror slash revenge? Yeah. Fuck, why not? After these two. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you could look at this. This is a revenge. I was saying you could look at this as a Ultimately. sort of revenge film. Yeah. I saw the devil much more so. But I'm kind of curious about his other films now, too. Like, right. Just because, not only just because we've done this, but I'm kind of curious how he's incorporated into other tales. Like, I know he uses, I think his name is Yi Byung Hyun, the guy who was like the main actor in I Saw the Devil. He has another film that he's done with the director, and I'm kind of curious about it. I heard it's got some pretty good acclaim, regardless. All right. Not that these are questions, but these are things I felt like I needed to bring up because of the way that the director said he, he framed certain things. Okay. He said when he was thinking about this particular tale and the way he likes to do things, he says he likes to film it, what they call a, a maison-scene, which it's the framing, it's telling a tale through the costume, through the characters, the people, uh, the actors, of course, like their facializations and their mannerisms and things like that, which makes sense because I mentioned earlier, the way that this film plays out is like it's very photographic. It's very... The way that things are framed, it seems like a bit of a fairy tale in a mm-hmm. sense, you know. It's almost a dreamlike thing. I already mentioned the uh, chiaroscuro style of lighting, which I thought was really interesting in this. Yeah, and just like I said, the cinematography is beautiful. The score is really beautiful. The guy did the music said that there wasn't enough music to compile a CD or a soundtrack. <laughs> and he wasn't sure whether or not he wanted to release it as a part of something like for other films that he's composed music for. Just put it together like a mix or whether to include it as a part of Gim's like filmography and stuff like that. So he didn't really specify like how he's going to figure out how to do that because the Korean music industry is a little bit of a beast too. But he said he's very proud of this particular piece of music. You can see why, you know what I mean? One question I did want to ask before I okay. ask one last question is, out of ghost stories, because we've mentioned that we're not like super fans of ghost stories per se. Right, it's the, too easy for them to be too cheesy in the wrong ways. For yeah, me. and I feel like it relies too much, not a lot, but it tends to rely too scares. much on jump scares. And like, it's not that I hate jump scares, it's just that they're so fucking cliche, and you know they're going to happen, and you can almost foreshadow them. And even when it does happen, it might make you jump, but you're still like, man, fuck, for real? Come on, man. Give me a little something more than this. So my question would be, <laughs> is what are some of your favorite ghost stories or ghost films? I was trying to think about that a little bit while I was watching this. I'll admit it's been a long time since I've watched Poltergeist and I have to rewatch it before I truly put it somewhere on the list. But this is now battling it out for... I'm not sure which... They're they're tied in my head right now, but this is battling it out with Murder House. Oh, cool. I fucking love that first season of American Horror Story. That's one of my favorite ghost stories. fucking amazing. Like I said, most of the time ghost stories rely too much on like jump scares and shit. So I like ghost stories when they just use it as an excuse to like be kind of fucking crazy with it so i actually am a giant fan of the uh, remake of 13 ghosts yeah i mean that's a good film i enjoy <laughs> the shit out of it yeah it's a fun film i thought like the ghost design and all that shit was actually really cool and it yeah. wasn't so much a normal ghost story as it was like an escape the fucking death house story yeah. where yeah. the things that are causing death just happen to be ghosts i don't know I'm having a hard time. Like most of the time, I kind of stay away from them, to be honest. Because I'm kind of in the same boat. I did write down a couple. I, had a, I have a really nice nostalgic moment. Like I saw House on Haunted Hill for like my twelfth birthday nice. in San Diego. 
at a really nice theater that at the time had some of the better like sound in the entire city. Nice. And like that was going to like a big city and all that shit. So like I enjoy that movie from nostalgia. Well, yeah, that's understandable. <laughs> there was a few that I wrote down that you could argue that fall into the ghost story category. Is uh, I wrote down maybe Candyman. You could argue that like that's a bit of a ghost story. Kind of a ghost story. Yep. The Sixth Sense. I enjoy The Sixth Sense, but not. I enjoy it more. It's just like a crazy-ass drama. Yeah, I don't really see it as a horror. I think you're right. I think it's more of a drama. You'd mentioned Poltergeist. The Devil's Backbone, I think, is a good one. Del Toro. The Shining, arguably, could be considered that. Shining's arguably a ghost story. That's absolutely true. Beetlejuice? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Beetlejuice is great. You know what? I, I kind of enjoy the cartoon series more than the movie. I actually grew up watching the cartoon series. I can't remember a whole hell of a lot about it other than like... Not that I don't like the movie. Yeah. But I kind of enjoy the cartoon series a little bit more than the movie. And the last one I wrote down was The Changeling, which I know something we've talked about I haven't seen The Changeling. I have, but honestly, it probably hasn't been since like 2002. So it's been a hot fucking minute. But I just think it's like... I don't really dig ghost stories because of all the stuff we just talked about. But I've seen there all of the paranormal ones. activities, yeah. and I would not rate them in my top ten. Yeah, it's like, and I'm yeah. having a hard time thinking of ten fucking ghost stories. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I will say this. this: I like the first one, and I wouldn't rate it in my top ten. <laughs> this arguably, arguably, might be one of my favorite, just because of how fucking bizarre it is. And perhaps somewhere down the road, we'll talk about it. Is the film Hausu or House Japanese? Oh, yep. Yeah, I would like to talk about that one that, at some point. I've heard good that things about that. That will be it. fun. There's somebody I have in mind if we decide to do that who should be on board for that. But regardless, it's like outside of that, ah, oh, dude, I can't really think of horror films I, that um, ghost stories alike. I'm not the biggest fan of the movie itself, but I fucking love the actual haunted tape in the ring. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That thing is fucking Ringu. freaky as shit. Yeah. yeah. You know, actually, I'm glad you said that. I was thinking about this earlier, too, you know, with some of those films. This one's a little bit more home with Asian horror, too. That might have been the first fucking film I pirated. Oh. Ringu was because there was so much buzz about the American remake, and they're like, oh, you know, this is based off a Japanese film, yada, yada. I was like, huh, I'm kind of curious about that. I actually don't remember the first movie I pirated, but I do remember the first movie in general that like one of my friends was pirating and that we were all like <laughs> super stoked for, you know? What Hell I mean? yeah! <laughs> like and we were all waiting like over at his house for it to get done and shit like that. Yeah, and man, this that is... was um, Phantom Menace. <laughs> oh no, shit! That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. On dial-up, think took a while. <laughs> mine, I want to say like that was like two thousand two or three when I downloaded Ringu. Yeah. So that was a hot minute ago. But yeah, I was just thinking about that. And I enjoyed it. It was just, it fell in that category of like redundancy because once that one kind of kicked off, it felt like all those ghosts after that were just slender, long hair, hair over mm-hmm. the eyes, slow walk. It became a little cliche after a while. I mean, they spoofed it, you know. That's when you know you've kind of made it too. But this one though, when I did see it, it, it definitely hit a different mark or a milestone in the way I viewed what a good ghost story could be. And it just, oh, the twists. Yeah. All the twists. You're like, so oh, good, man. oh, it's ghosts. Oh, no, the ghost was just in a nightmare. Yeah. Oh, it's mental disorder. Oh, no, ghosts are real. <laughs> yeah, I mean, which is, like, that's the thing I think that's super clever about the way he tells these stories is that there's some kind of tragedy. He reminds me a little bit of Ari Aster in this regard. Oh, because it all is around this tragedy. Right, right. So that's, like, the main motif 
perhaps, his, his family tragedies, you know, whether it's murder, whether it's just tragedy in general. And then he sets you up for these, like, almost long, anguishing, kind of, like, heartfelt, gut-wrenching moments. And then there's more twists on top of twists. But they're all profound, and they have a unique social commentary as well. It's really hard to truly talk about this movie because every scene can almost be reinterpreted once you know the twist. You're absolutely right about that. Because it's either her talking to herself. She definitely does that. It's her father having to deal with her and seeing his anguish. And I kind of made a little bit of a note about it that, like, he is also not the best supportive father, no, but it also seems like, I mean, he is obviously dealing with his own stuff and probably yeah. not getting help for it himself. Well, so. yeah, that's, that's a very good point because we He only... might be focused on trying to help her the best yeah. he can, but he can help her the best possible no, without know... getting help himself. All right. So, all right. This kind of leads into my last question that I had for you was, you've already mentioned that you read a little bit of the synopsis from what, what translates out to Rose Flower, Red, Red Lotus. Lotus. Right. So I wrote down if you knew what the differences were in the story and at least what separates this version of it from the other versions of it. I didn't know if you knew the differences or not. Like they both die. Yeah, both the sisters in the original telling, the folk Right, tale. that's the big one that stands out to me is they both die. Right. There's a tiger that attacks one of the brothers oh, because right. of his actions. Mm-hmm. Right. So the way that I understood the original tale, the folk tale, was that they actually kept the surnames, the Bay. Oh. So it was actually, they still kept that. The name still translated the same, right? Su Bay and Su Hyun. It yeah, still translates still to it. Yeah, Rose and Lotus. Right, which I thought was really clever. So anyway, in the original telling is that the first daughter, they named Rose Flower. But <laughs> the second daughter, the mother died during the childbirth. She was the one that was named the Red Lotus. and The nightmare is a reference to that, right? Yeah, I would imagine so. So, of course, the father remarries. The stepmother is jealous until she has three boys. Now she has dominance, right? Mm -hmm. So the eldest sister was supposed to be married. And as a part of the arrangement, the stepmother was supposed to help, right? But because she despised Rose Flower, (laughs) she set her up, right? She set her up by putting a rat corpse in her bed while she slept like the night before or something like that, before the marriage that she's supposed to have. And what that caused, or at least what she told the father of the girl, was that she had a nightmare. She had a premonition that the daughter was unfit to marry, right? And the way that they did it was when they pulled back the sheets, they found the corpse. Oh, yeah, it's like miscarriage. Right, right. So it was like saying that, exactly. (laughs) It, It was supposed to be symbolic of like she has a foul or diseased womb, and, uh, and she's been getting around. Yeah, right. She's very promiscuous, so you can't trust her. And so apparently they lead her, I think, to a pond, or she goes to a pond, and the eldest brother drowns her, and a tiger comes up and bites his arm and leg off, mm-hmm. right? And even though the stepmother got what she wanted, she also paid a price through her son. So she takes her revenge out on the youngest sister. The youngest sister has the same fate as the older sister. She drowns. And then apparently, like, the mayor of that town every year or something like that. Started dying. Right. They mysteriously died until this one particular gentleman actually confronted the sisters, asked them what happened. And suppose They're like, like, no, we're just trying to let people know. Right, right. He, he was like, let's actually take a look at that rat corpse and see what the hell it was, whether it was a fetus or whether it was something else. Find out, of course, it was a rat corpse. It vindicated 
the eldest sister as a means of punishment. The stepmother and the eldest son or one of the sons wound up getting hung right mm-hmm. to death. And the father remarries and he winds up having twin daughters with the new mother who she renames that Rose are the reincarnated. Right. And presumably. That's, exactly. So that was a way of like honoring them but also like I guess perpetuating like this other story too through those two sisters. I see it. Yeah. I mean there's this bits is a of really it. neat way to to take right. pertinent bits from it. And it's so. not something I even grew up with. It's just hearing no, the no, summary no. a couple times, like, I see the elements in there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which I think it's most fairy tales or folk tales that deal with families and stepmothers is like, there's always a wicked stepmother. There's always some kind of conflict, usually a tragedy, and then some kind of twist, you know, like a happy ending, but it's kind of macabre at the same time, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, overall, man, talking to my youngest sister, she's the only other one who's seen it in my family. I asked her, I was like, do you remember the films? She's like, yeah. I was like, what do you remember? She's like, I remember one of them's dead. <laughs> I remember one of them's dead. I was like, right, do you remember anything else outside? She's like, I think I remember them swimming or something. <laughs> I was like, uh, kind of close, but she she didn't really remember. She that wharf is once. so iconic, though. That is such a good scene. I wrote down, I know we're still talking about it, but I did write down, too. I wonder, too, if there was only, this is going to sound like one of those footprint moments, but if there was only one pair of legs and they're actually like kicking around the water because it's kind of hinted at that if i remember right only one of them they both have their legs in the water right right, right. but as the as but the camera I is think, coming out of the water right oh which by the way that shot also was kind of a red herring yeah that's the kind of shot you use in a horror movie when you imply that something's going to come out of the water right there's some some, some ominous presence yeah <laughs> but i think maybe the reason he chose that's just to Merkily show you that there's only one set of legs in the water, but it's right. It's hard I did. To tell. I did notice that basically only Sume was kicking. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, man, this movie's just. I like it because it. Honestly, if you can get this movie and you can catch everything in one viewing, my hats are off to you. But I feel like this one. You should at least give it a second watch. You should give it at least two watches and be prepared to be a lot more sad the second time through. <sighs> Man, yeah. The Even first time though, through, it's weird and it's creepy yeah. and you're just kind of taken off guard. You know, that's a good point, too, because maybe you're still trying to put the pieces together. Watch it the second time because it, it makes a lot more sense for the way that things unfurl. But I'm glad we got to talk about it. I wasn't sure if we'd ever get to, around to this one, but I think the opportunity kind of presented itself with a ghost story and it's like, ooh. It's one I haven't watched in a while. It's one I don't know how often gets talked about either, you know? Right. So I'm glad we got to talk about it, dude. Me too. But as far as moving forward goes, as we mentioned last week, we will not have an episode next week. Yeah, taking a week off. I'm going to be out of town for a few days. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back to recharge our batteries. But then hopefully the week after that, and this still isn't 100%. Because it involves parties outside of us <laughs> okay. as well. Yeah. But we should be returning the week after that with Wes Craven's Swamp Thing. Dude, fuck yeah. That's going to be So fun. if you want to get boned up before we talk about it, it should be a good time. I will warn everybody in advance, this is going to get very nerdy. <laughs> we will probably end up talking a lot about the comic book version of Swamp Thing. That's going to be good. Uh, based on who our guest is. Yeah. But I think it's an interesting enough character that we're going to have a fun time doing it. Well, so. yeah, I mean, we'll we'll definitely do our homework. I know you have a pretty good background in it. Let me some Swamp Thing. Yeah. We've actually... I of, might do a bit more homework, too, before we... What I think, too, is kind of interesting about that is we had, what is it, like, one degree of separation from one We've of the We've done an interview with 
Simon. Simon, yeah. one of the directors of Savage Land, who had the creator Swamp Thing in his movie. That is so fucking wild. Yeah, so we're not too far removed from them. <laughs> no, not just creator Swamp Thing, dude. Len created so much, oh, but yeah. that's that's a conversation that's, yeah, exactly. for another time. It's about nerdy, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. But in order to listen to us talk about Swamp Thing in two weeks' time, please hit subscribe on however you're listening to us right now. We're hoping to come back not just with Swamp Thing, but with other things as well. I know that we're talking about working on a whole lot of shit to making all of our things more streamlined. No so doubt. Hopefully we'll have good news on that front at some point coming up, but the only way for you to listen to us give you that news is to hit subscribe. You can always follow us like through our website. There's links to listen to us up at the top. Latest episode streaming down at the bottom, and that's www www.friedsquirms.com throughout the middle is links to all of our online portals the facebook the twitter the insta you can hit through all of our back catalog on there and you can also contact us through the website or squirmcast at gmail.com right we say this every week but we do like to hear from our listeners whether you're fans whether you're in the industry if you have recommendations suggestions or if you need some eyes on an independent film let us know we're always up for that and once again, go watch Tots over on YouTube. Yeah. Blessed Doom, Walking Corpse Syndrome, our buddy Patrick Kirkley. Was there another band involved in that? I missed if it. If there was, I'm not sure. I'm not too Angel was involved, team. though. Yeah. I don't know if Siren's part of either of those guys, but I know she was involved. That's cool. Montana metal scene supported if you're in Montana. Go check out Tot Fest in August if you're in Missoula. Yeah. Uh, that'd be killer. I know I'm going to be there eating some fucking tater tots. Yeah, that's so. going to be fun, dude. I want me some fucking tater tots, especially after watching that movie. Yeah, so. likewise. <laughs> but for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried squirms. Out. Out.